Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today. Uh, just for the record, I am pastor, not Sean Lee. Uh, I am Jason Allison, one of the pastors here, and I am so honored that I get a few moments with you to uh, open God's Word together. To those of you joining us online, I welcome you as well. So glad that you could be here and be joining us. Uh, just a quick heads up, we are going to take communion at the end uh, of the service, and so if you haven't already uh, picked up a little packet uh, on your way in, then please uh, take a minute and go and grab one at some point over the next few minutes uh, so that you're ready. And those of you at home, if you want to join us in that, uh, you are welcome to uh, go grab something that looks like a cracker and something of juice of some sorts so that you can participate with us uh, in that. Well, we are in the middle of a series. Uh, Sean launched it last week. Uh, it's called Where Is Your Mind? And uh, Sean talked about Abraham and and, you know, what does it look like? Uh, where is your mind when you aren't sure exactly how God is going to show up? And so this week, I, I want to push it just a little bit further, and we're actually going to move forward in history ever so slightly. Uh, we're going to look at a guy named Jacob, and we're going to look at those same questions. But to me, I, I'm thinking through this idea is where is my mind when I feel like I'm a fraud? Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, the, the concept of imposter syndrome, I'm sure you've heard of it, where you, you hit a point where you kind of feel like if anybody actually knew what was going on, they would not trust you. <laughs> they would not be paying you money to do whatever it is that you do because you are just truly faking it through this whole process. I, I know over the last few years, there have been multiple times that I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking at all these things and I'm like, why, why would anyone ever call me and want me to talk to them about something and think that they could learn something in the process? If they truly knew how confused I normally am, there's no way. And so I, I wanted to wrestle with the question, well, where is my mind? Where, where is your mind when we truly feel like a fraud or an imposter or we don't know exactly if we have what it takes and we're beginning to question our identity and who we are and, and what does that look like? And so as our usual uh, process. The pastor has got in the car this week and we uh, drove around a little bit and we just kind of processed that question together. And so I thought you might want to peek at some of the stuff we talked about. Confronting the real you. Confronting the real me. Yeah, this is like a confrontation. It's a confrontation. Sometimes it feels like it. Who are you? Yeah. Wrestling with who you are. You're, that's a, well, I think the problem is, is we don't maybe really know who we are, or we maybe know who we are and we're running from who we really are. I think a lot of it is we we care more about being accepted, and so we're just trying to be what's accepted. Yeah. By other people, less than maybe yeah. embracing a. No, I think you're right. Certain part of who we are it's yeah. like what what gets me more friends or what is acceptable or what is we look to the people around us to tell us who we should be right and then we try to become that right even when we aren't necessarily that yeah. right yeah right. And, and then we wonder why we have so much angst and anxiety in our life when we're living this tension of yeah 
who am I? Who should I be? Who I'm supposed am to I be? Really? Right. right. I, th- I think there is a lot of uh, feelings of inauthenticity, feeling fake. Like, I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. Yeah. Um, there, and, and we we get into that because we do present something that maybe isn't the truest version of ourselves yeah. to others. And, uh, you know, and, and we open the door for evil to play on that, you know, oh, yeah. torment us with that. Right. So in asking, where is my mind? It's like, well, you can be anxious and absolutely uh, out of sorts over trying to uh, reconcile this uh, version of yourself yeah. with the real you, you know. I think that's even giving some credit of like even recognizing that you're being an inauthentic version of yourself. Yeah, I think it's probably more subconscious than it is conscious a <laughs> yeah. lot of the times. Right. Because um, like, yeah, I'm being authentic. I'm me. But if I really start digging into like why I do the things that I do, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've, I've been kind of conditioned to present. Yeah, I, I would say like being conditioned to present a false version of yourself is not a good thing. Yeah. And and right. it's too often not only in regular society but the church tends to buy into that too. Yeah. It's like you're acceptable as long as you present you know the good outward right. appearance. Right. And uh, beneath the surface, it can be a disaster. Just don't let me know. Right. But but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know as long as it presents well, it's yeah. all good. You know. As long as it fits with the cultural norms that we have decided are our cultural norms, then you're fine. Right. Just don't let us know if you deviate anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yes. I do think there's a growing, uh, I don't know, a response to that in some of, I say, the younger generations, like the token old guy. But the, um, the, the there's that kind of, you, you know, you be you, you know, you, you, you be all the best you you can be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the really crazy say, sayings like, you know, if the world can't handle me at its worst, it doesn't deserve me at my best. Right. You know, those type mentalities that yeah. are coming up in the young, because they're responding. Right. Which is just as wrong. Exactly. Uh, the problem is, is we're putting ourselves in the center there yes. of you be you. Well, you being you is, uh, then I'm the ultimate authority right. on who I really am. And really, in doing that, we're... we're because of the tension, we're also giving other people authority because we want to respond to who they, we think they want us to be so they like us and validate us. <laughs> right. All the while, we're not being us and it just it gets really crazy. Yeah. Uh, My mind hurts just thinking through this. Yeah. Really what it comes down to is allowing others to define you mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to define you are both going to get you in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Only. Yeah, that's a good way. Of, only yeah. having being fully submissive and obedient to God and his definition of you right. is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Right. Didn't yeah, mean to mic drop it there, but that's a good one though. But that that's the hard part though. We've is, had church already, we can go yeah, home. Yeah. I don't have to preach. <laughs> yes. Um that but that's the hard part is really trusting that and, and figuring that out. Because it's not like God, you know, shows up at a at your twelfth birthday party and says, All right here's who you need to be right it's just, right. you know so but I got lots of voices that are really loud in my life yes telling me who they think I should be right and I, you know we go to the scriptural narrative of the fall which you know that's yeah. where the false identity comes in right. this sense of 
God doesn't really have your best in mind. He doesn't have the best intended for you. So He wants to keep you down right. ignorant. Yeah. Right. So think for yourself or allow someone else to tell you what who you are, right? And that's the battle right there, right? So when we're talking about where is my mind, uh, is your mind in the place of uh, pursuing God and defining who you are? Yeah. Or are you in constant consternation over, uh, I, I really can't define myself. I'm living an inauthentic life. Um, I, I, I want to please others. I want others to, to view me in a particular way. And I think the answer is going to be, yeah, it's kind of all the above. And that's the tension of, of life. Yeah. And you are going to wrestle with that. You're going to have to work through that. You are going to wrestle with that. Yeah, that's where we're at. You are going to wrestle with who you are, who you think you are, who you think you should be. Um, who others think you are, who they think you should be. It, it gets really confusing. It gets difficult. Uh, it, it gets to be one of those things where your brain starts spinning. And so today what I want to do is take a few minutes and look into Scripture and look at the life of someone who really lived a life that you could see a notable transition in his life, where he moved from someone who was constantly kind of playing the game, uh, right, working the system, working every single angle that he could get to the place where he finally submitted and, and became who God called him to be. And the person we're going to look at is uh, Jacob. And just to give you some historical context, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you're, you're welcome to turn to Genesis uh, chapter probably 28. Uh, it really starts a little before then, but it, it moves through. We're going to hit a couple of verses through there. Um, but let me just kind of give you an overview of what's going on so you have some context. John talked about um, Abraham last week, and Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. So Abraham... Uh, has this, this child, Isaac, whom, you know, we talked about he almost sacrificed, but then Isaac um, ended up getting married and had twins. And, and so these twins are, are born, and even as they're born, one comes out first, but as he comes out, the other one is grabbing hold of his heel so it's, I mean, I feel really bad for the moms like, in this. Like, I can't even imagine what was that, that was like. But, I mean, they're literally fighting over who gets to come out first. And is this cutting in and out? Do I need to grab a different one? I, I can't tell up here. Stay with that. Okay. Uh, Sean's, Sean knows everything, so I'll just ask him. <clears throat> so so the, the second child is Jacob. And they're twins, but they don't, they're, they're paternal twins, so they don't look alike. They actually look extremely different. Jacob comes out grabbing onto the heel of his brother. And in that process, they're, they're looking at, at, and they name him. They name him Yaakov, Jacob. One who grabs the heel. I mean, how would you like to be what you looked like when you were coming out of birth? You know, a little greasy, squirmy thing, like messy. You know, like, what, what do you do with that? I don't know. But, but all of that to say, you know, you reach a point where you're like, okay, he was given this identity at birth of one who is a deceiver, who's a manipulator, who's trying to get his own way. He's doing whatever he can to, to get ahead in life. And Jacob lived into that identity. And if you know anything about him, you know, he was, he was not his father's favorite. 
Okay, his father really liked Esau because Esau was kind of the, the outdoorsy kind of guy, right? He was a hunter. He was big. He was hairy, right? He was all those things that Jacob was not. <laughs> Jacob was an indoorsy kind of guy, okay? Jacob was the kind of guy who, who always looked nice. He was really good at cooking. He was a mama's boy in the literal sense. And so you've got these two twins, and, and Jacob... Who, who wants to be the one who is, you know, on top, who wants to be the one that, that is in charge, and he realizes he's not actually, so he starts working the system to get everything he can. And so even at one point, Esau comes in from hunting, and, and Esau is tired, he's hungry, he, he's like famished. And Jacob, of course, is sitting there with this wonderful stew that he has prepared, and he has it just strategically placed so that as Esau comes in, he smells it, and, and Esau comes over, and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm so hungry. Would you please let me have some of that? And Jacob sees, this is an opportunity. <laughs> and he says, sure, I'll give it to you, but it'll cost you. Esau's like, fine, I'm going to die if I don't eat something. And he says, fine, I want your part of the inheritance because you're technically, you know, like one minute older than me, so you get a bigger portion. So I want that, and you can have mine. And Esau's like, well, you know what? I'm so hungry. It doesn't matter. I'm going to die if I don't get something. So great. They make a deal. So for a pot of stew, he gives away the bigger portion of the inheritance. Jacob goes on. He's not, he's not satisfied with just having, you know, this birthright, a bigger inheritance. He says, okay, now i got to figure out how to get his blessing. Because, you know, the dad reserves a special blessing for the older one. And he obviously loved Esau more. So he's like, I know he's going to get a good one. i got to figure out how to get that from him so I can truly be on top. And so... He dresses up like Esau because Isaac, his dad, is getting old, can't see as well, might be losing a little bit of those mental faculties. And he hears him talking to Esau, and he says, Esau, I want to give you your blessing. Would you go hunting, bring back some game, cook it up like, like you do, because I love that, and I, I really want to bless you. So Jacob and his mom come up with a little scheme. Esau leaves, Jacob runs out, they get a goat, they, they prepare it, they get everything ready, and, and Jacob's like, oh no, but, but Esau, you know, he's like big and hairy, and he smells like the outside. I'm not. So his mom says, fine, so they put stuff on his skin so that he's a little more hairy, right? They, they, they put some, some other things so he smells like the outside, and he comes, he basically fakes his dad out and says, no, no, I'm Esau. And so Isaac blesses him. He deceives his father. He swindles his He deceives his father. And then all of a sudden, you know, he looks around, and he, he and his mom realize uh, this is not going to go well because uh, Esau is mad enough now that he might actually kill you. So she sends him away. And so he goes away because he's supposed to go find his uncle so that he can find a wife. Because apparently Esau had married some Hittite woman, which just means a neighboring tribe, and it didn't go over well at home. But since Esau is the favorite, nobody you know, really said anything. So, so Jacob's mom says, fine, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this. So she sends Jacob away to find his uncle so he can marry a cousin. Now, I'm from Kentucky, and... And I know some people seem to think that's a thing, but apparently 4,000 years ago, you could marry your cousin and nobody made fun of you. But so he goes and he, and he finds his uncle and it's on this 
see that the first significant event happened in the life of Jacob. And this is an extremely significant event. There are two that I want to look at real quick. I mean, the first one happens, he's leaving, and he's still kind of on top, right? He got the bigger inheritance. He got the blessing. He's going to go find a wife that will actually make his family more happy than what Esau found. He, he's kind of working it pretty good. Things are moving along pretty well. But he also realizes he has to run because everything he's done is really ticked a bunch of people off. And so he's on his journey, and this is in Genesis chapter 28. And he stops at a place, and he ends up calling it Pinal. And, and so he stops there, and he's just resting for the night because he's getting ready to, you know, move the next day. It's not a one, you know, it's not a two-hour journey. They didn't have cars. They didn't have planes. This was a long process, and he's all by himself. And he has a dream. And, and I would call this his stairway to heaven moment. Because he dreams of a ladder. And let me, let me just read it. In, in Genesis 28, it says, At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I, I will not leave you until I have finished giving it to you, giving you everything that I have promised. Now, that should, if you've studied scripture at all, if you understand any of the flow of the Old Testament, that should sound extremely familiar because just a few chapters ago, and, and Sean touched on these last week, God made a, almost the exact same promise to, to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And so the interesting thing is, so he has this stairway to heaven encounter with God, the, the deceiver, the manipulator, and, and he's standing there and, and he's, he's hearing this. And I don't know about you, but I would have been, if I was God trying to reveal myself to Jacob, I think I would have come in and said, dude, clean it up. Come on. I promised you this stuff. You don't have to be such a jerk. Right? You don't have to be deceiving everybody. You don't, you don't have to manipulate the situation all the time. You, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not in order to get what you think you deserve. But that's not how God did it. God simply came in and said, I am loving you unconditionally, and I am going to give you what I promised your grandfather and your father. You are the one who will carry that blessing, and I want you to know that's who I am. Now, in typical Jacob fashion, he actually uses this as a bargaining chip against God. Because he says, oh, all right, well, here's the thing. I'm going on this trip. I've got to find a wife. And as long as you protect me, when I get back, I will worship you as God. Now, think about that for just a second. He didn't say, wow, that's amazing. You're God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to follow you. He's like, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, have you ever treated God that way? 
Have you ever been working through your life and, and you really sense, maybe it's a great church service, maybe it's a song you hear in the car, maybe it's a conversation you have with some of your relatives, and you come together and you're like, wow, you know what, God is really moving. God is doing something, I just sense it. And you know what, as soon as he comes through, that's when I'll start worshiping him. Maybe, maybe we're not quite that overt with it. Maybe we just think in our minds, oh, that's really cool. And you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep trying, but I'm not really going to jump in 100% until I know that God really is going to come through. And we hesitate. Jacob, I mean, look at the verse there in, tw in chapter 28. What does he say? It says, then if all that happens, right? If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then, that's a lot of ifs, then the Lord will certainly be my God. If he comes through for me, I'll make him my God. And so, for the next 20 years, God... After, in this case, God reveals himself to Jacob, right, as the God of love, the God of grace, the God who gives, the God who blesses. For the next 20 years, God reveals Jacob to himself because he gets to the land. He gets to see his uncle. And for the next 20 years, he is in the biggest Game of Thrones episode you have ever seen in your life that is just ridiculous, now, the fact that some of you are laughing shows me you've actually watched it, so you're all sinners. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was a soap opera, soap opera of epic proportions. Because he gets there, and, and he meets this shepherdess, who he finds out is Laban's daughter, and she's just drop-dead gorgeous. And he goes, and he, and he talks to Laban, and he's like, you know, I'm your, your nephew. My, my mom is your sister, and yeah, we're related, and we want to do, keep the line pure, yada, yada, yada. And he says, oh, man, that Rachel. Whew. She's gorgeous. I'd really like to marry her. And Laban says, fine. Here's what we'll do. You work for me for seven years. Prove yourself, and I'll let you marry her. Oh, makes a deal. Does it? Seven years. It, verse, it says, you know, it felt like it, it went by like a few days. He was just so excited. Well, then the day comes, and this is what gets really weird. Okay, if you want to read the passage, go for it. it it's just not... This is not stuff that, you know, we would ever really identify with in the world today. But it says he gets there, they have the wedding ceremony and the whole big feast and everything. And then they go, you know, to consummate the marriage. Well, this PG. Uh, and, and everything goes as planned, right? The next morning he wakes up and he looks over. And instead of it being Rachel, it's Rachel's ugly older sister, Leah. I have no idea how to miss that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what kind of wine they were serving, but he missed something in there. And obviously he was a little ticked off. But think about it. What, what did he do already multiple times? He tricked his family into getting stuff. Well, Jacob's getting Jacobed. So what does he do? He goes to Laban and he goes, dude, you tricked me. You gave me the ugly one, which literally that's what the scripture says, that she was weak in the eyes, which is a euphemism for... She's ugly. <clears throat> and Laban says, well, here's the thing. She's older, and normally, you know, we, we try to marry the older one first, even if she's kind of, you know, but we got to do that. And so I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you Rachel as well. 
Can you imagine being married to sisters, like both of them? I No, you know, my wife has sisters. There's no way I would want them in the house because they would kill me. I know how that would work. And so they ended up, he says, fine, but here's what, you got to work another seven years. And so Jacob agrees. He also marries Rachel and then works for seven more years. Lots happens in there. I mean, this is where it gets really Games of Throny, okay? Where they're like, they're bargaining for nights with Jacob and so that they could bear sons and they're like trading stuff. I mean, one sells a group of mandrakes so you can have a night with, I mean, come on, this gets weird. And I'm not gonna try to explain all of it because honestly, I don't get it because we don't live in that culture anymore. But the bottom line is after 20 years, Jacob looks around and he has 12 sons. That's gonna be important. A couple of daughters, a lot of livestock. He's done some things. You can read the text and get to see what he did. Got a lot of stuff. And he realizes that Laban, the rest of Laban's family feels like Jacob's cheating them and they're gonna get him. And so he has to flee again. And he's gonna flee back home. So he gathers everybody, and they start heading home. Other stuff happens there. You can read about it. But he finally gets to this place where he says, okay, I'm going home. That means I'm going to have to face Esau. And if you remember, Esau wasn't that happy with Jacob. And the last time Esau came in from the wild, he found out that Jacob had completely undermined everything that was his. And now Jacob was returning, and he had no idea what to expect. And so being the manipulator, the subplanter, he concocts a plan. Even though 20 years ago he said he trusts God, if he comes back safely, he's like, well, I just let's, you know, let's hedge my bets a little bit. And so here's what he does. Get this. He takes all of his stuff and he divides it into sections and he starts sending it ahead so that each wave of servants and, and flocks and everything would, would hit Esau and they would be gifts that he's giving them so that Esau wouldn't be so mad. And also, he stays at the back to the point where he actually puts his wife and children in front of him so that if Esau, because he found out Esau had about 400 men with him, that never seems a good thing. And he says, if Esau is going to get me, at least he'll kill all of them and I'll have time to leave. Now, that's pretty low, uh, you know? And it was at that moment that his family is on the other side of the river and he's hanging back. And it, it's night. And, and the text says he was all alone. And he wrestled with a man. Genesis 32, 24 says, this, Jacob, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn broke. This was his second significant moment. This was WWE Smackdown with God moment. Because in this moment, Jacob, who was who was completely horrible in the way he handled people, in the way he managed everything, in the way he manipulated everything, came to the realization he was a fraud. 
He was supposed to be the one who carried the line and the covenant and the blessing and the promise. But instead, he was the one who was manipulating. He was the one who was sending women ahead of him to be a shield. He was the one who was doing all these things that were nothing like the character of the God who had made a promise to him that he would provide and he would protect and he would bless. And it was in that moment that he's wrestling with God and he comes to the realization because God has now revealed Jacob to himself. Have you ever been at that point where you spent years trying to be something, trying to become something, trying to, to earn your way or manipulate your way into something and, it, and you finally hit that point of realizing, I can't do this and I am not gonna make it if I keep trying to do this. And I'm lost. And it's at that moment that God shows up and, and he doesn't show up in that nice little, oh, it's gonna be fine, we're all great, everything's happy. Let's, no, you wrestle with God. Because you come face to face with the reality that you need God. Or you're not gonna make it. And even in the wrestling match, I love this. No one wants to actually admit this, but God cheated in the wrestling match, right? It says they were wrestling and wrestling and, and neither were really winning. And, and, and all of a sudden it starts to become daybreak and, and the man, which we don't know, was it an angel representing God? Was it actually God? Was it Jesus? We, we have no idea, okay? It doesn't explain it. The bottom line is this representation of God is wrestling with and he needs to get out, but he can't. And so he touches his hip socket. And he wrenches it out. He kind of, he, Jacob's Jacob. And Jacob knows now he's done. He can't win. And that's the moment when I want to ask, where was his mind? Because maybe that's where our mind needs to go. He knew he was a fraud and he wasn't going to make it. And so in that moment, Jacob first became conscious of his weakness. He realized he, he couldn't do it. The victim used to be the victor, right? The victor became the victim in this moment. Jacob, the one who always figured out how to come out on top, ends up on the bottom. He had to recognize and release his shortcomings. He had to admit his weakness. And, and if you want to have a connection with God in those moments. You gotta be conscious of your weakness, your propensity to manipulate or misrepresent or, or, or try to manage. That's what Jacob did. And, and our culture makes that very difficult for us to do, right? We, we don't want to ever admit a weakness. We don't want anyone to ever know, what. oh, you know what, actually, when this happens, I get really depressed. Well, then that just means everybody's going to make that happen, so I'm constantly battling that. But Jacob finally submitted, and he realized his weakness. On, on top of that, J Jacob was filled at this moment with a consuming hunger for God. It says he held on and wouldn't let go, begging for a blessing. See, here's the thing. We, we think wrestling with God is a bad thing. We, we think we shouldn't 
cross God. We think we shouldn't argue with him. We shouldn't resist. We should just blindly accept. No, no. God says, no, no. I, I, I don't mind you wrestling. The question is, will you hold on when it gets hard? And when you hold on, what are you looking for? Are you looking for victory or are you looking for a blessing? Are you hungry to be a winner? Are you hungry for me? You know, Jacob had already received a blessing from Isaac. He'd already received the birthright from Esau. I mean, he lied to get him and he manipulated and all that stuff, but he had him. But that wasn't enough. He knew he needed a blessing from God. And so he held on because he was hungry for that finally. And then third thing is Jacob. Jacob confessed his unworthiness, not just his weakness, his unworthiness. Because this, this person he was wrestling with says, I'll bless you, but tell me your name. And it was at that point that Jacob had to say out loud, I am a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I'm a sinner. I am... Jacob. That moment when God asks you, who are you? And we can put up a whole bunch of fronts, and we can put a whole bunch of things saying, oh, you know, I'm the guy who did this, or I accomplished this, or look what I did, or see how much I've done, or see how good I am, especially compared to him. See all these things that I've done? Don't, God, that's who I am. And God says, no, 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 let's get rid of all that stuff. Who at your core are you? on your own without me. And so he confessed. And here's the fascinating thing. At that moment, when, when he confessed, I'm not good enough. I don't have it. I can't do it on my own. I can't manipulate my way out of this situation. I can't talk my way out of this situation. God says, your name was Jacob. But now I'm giving you a new name. You will be known as Israel, Israel, which means one struggles with God and survives. It doesn't mean one who struggles with God and wins, because you don't win that struggle. <laughs> it's one who struggles with God and lives to talk about it. Here's the thing, in the midst of everything you might be going through today, are you willing to engage the struggle, knowing that you're going to have to front who you are? You're going to have to confess that you aren't able to make it all work. You aren't able to manipulate your way through this situation. You're going to have to acknowledge, you know what? I've got imposter syndrome, and I'm realizing right now there's no way I can actually manage all this and stay sane, and actually everyone still like me. I can't handle this. I need something more. I need a blessing. I need an identity from God. Where is your mind when you're thinking about who you really are? How are you engaging God in that question? And before you answer that, I, I want to close today with another table from the Bible that begins to tell us who we really are. 
in Christ. And, and hopefully you, you picked up our nice little, I don't know, there's so many things I want to call this, but it's, it's uh, our little Eucharist in a cup, right? Um, because we, we do this not because it's so cool, but because it represents something that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was at a table with his disciples and they were wrestling with who, who is Jesus? What's going on? I, there's a lot of things he's been saying that I don't understand and I don't know what's going to happen. And I thought we were going to become like powerful influencers and we were going to do all this stuff. And Jesus, you're talking about death and dying and I don't understand. And, and they're really confused and they're at this table celebrating the Passover meal where God saved his people and called them out of Egypt. He, he liberated them from slavery. And Jesus taking that meal and saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to see something. This bread that we're about to eat together, it's not just bread anymore. It's going to represent my body. My body that is broken for you because I want you to know you are worth the struggle that I'm going to go through with death. You are worth a blessing. And I want you to remember that. And, and this cup of, of, of wine that, that I'm sharing with you, I want you to know that you, you are worth my blood being shed for you. You may feel like a fraud. You may feel like you don't have it all together. You may not understand what God is calling you to do, but I want you to understand that Jesus said 2,000 years ago and continues to say every time we do this together, you are worth the blessing. And so as you think about where is my mind as I struggle through these things, let's start by, by taking the little wafer. Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. When you take this, remember me. Let's take it together. He then took the cup of wine and said, this represents my blood. I want you to remember the price I paid for you because you are worth every drop. I don't care who you think you are. Let me tell you who I think you are. Let's drink and remember. Father God, we take this communion and we recognize that we aren't worth on our own what you say we're worth. But we also recognize that you still love us. We don't understand why and it really doesn't matter. But you demonstrated for us, you showed us who you were. You revealed yourself to us in Christ. And in Christ, you reveal us to ourselves. May we find our identity in you as we remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Before we wrap up, I want you to know two things. One, there will be uh, people in the back if you want to pray about any of this or if you want to talk about any of that any further, we'll have our prayer team in the back. But second of all, the Jacob story didn't end there. It didn't end with him wrestling and, and, and all this and, and things going on. He still had to go face Esau. And after that second encounter, he went to the front of the line because he knew who he was. He knew who God had called him to be, and he trusted God before God showed up. And he went to the front, and he approached Esau, and he fell before him and confessed and repented and said, I'm at your service because I know who I am in God. And I don't care what you do because I deserve anything you would do. And in that moment, the brothers were united. And there was restoration and there was healing. But here's the thing. When Jacob walked away from that wrestling match, he walked away with a limp, a victorious limp, but a limp. And so don't expect every encounter with God to be something where you just walk away with butterflies and everything's happy and like there are times where there are wounds that you don't get over, but you need them in order to walk with him. And if any of those things are things you feel right now and want to pray about, I hope you'll join the prayer team in the back because Jacob ended up becoming the third of the patriarchs and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the promise of God moved through them to Jesus and why we sit here today. Would you stand and let's worship together as we close today's service. Oh